Several years ago, Charles Duhigg was a reporter uh, covering the war in Iraq. And what he did is he headed to a city uh, about an hour's drive south of Baghdad. And he just uh, observed what one army major was uh, accomplishing there. You see, the city was known for being... um, for being restless and rowdy. The city was known for even being riotous and violent, uh, including a a loss of life at several different times. What would happen, he observed, is this cycle would just repeat itself. It would start with a few people who would gather around in a city square and they would shout angry slogans and then And then over time, the crowd would grow and become even more restless and even more violent. And the crowd would continue growing and growing and growing until 6 o'clock, 7 p.m. It was a huge crowd. At 8 o'clock every night, it would turn violent and spill outside into the city streets. So this one clever army major came by and he observed all of this happening and the cycle repeating itself every couple of months. And he made a request. He asked for some of the food truck vendors to simply stay home. Don't tell our people. That's not what this is about. But he said, hey, listen, I've just noticed this pattern. And he asked the Iraqi mayor of the town if they could just just pay the trucks to stay home and keep the kebabs off the street. And then he watched. A few weeks later, the same pattern. It started to emerge. A few people getting more, getting bigger, getting more violent, getting more restless. Dinner time came around. Except for instead of everybody like crowding to the food trucks nearby and getting a refuel for a long night ahead, they would go home. And the vast majority of them wouldn't come back. And so what always had this cycle of violence to it, by one tiny change, lives were spared. And so that's what we're talking about in this brand new series here at Encounter Church called Habits, about how these tiny changes that we make can have a huge impact on our lives, on our communities, on the neighborhoods and the schools that we are a part of. Small change, huge and profound impact on those around us and even on ourselves in particular. Um, And I'm just kind of like looking at some of the habits that are around us all the time. And so what I did was I texted my wife earlier this week and I said, hey, what are some of those like kind of quirky, what are some of those habits that I have that uh, maybe only you are aware of, only you notice? And I got those like three bubbles, like response, right? Just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it's like text, text, text. The response was quick and voluminous. I mean, it was just like huge, these things like coming in. And just some of them on the list are like, you always buy shirts three at a time. This is not like a Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of deal. It's, it's, not that, it's just that I don't like to choose what to wear. I, I don't like to, to have a favorite shirt. And so what do I do is I get three of them so I don't have to pick Right? These are just like the weird quirks. You can ask the staff around here. I have the same thing for lunch every single day, day in and day out while I'm here. It's not particularly delicious or good. It's easy. It comes in a little shaker bottle. That's it. Right? It's just like these quirky habits that I do. I don't like picking things out to watch on TV. I've been watching the same television show, Grey's Anatomy, since I was in college. I'm on, I'm on like the 12th season right now and I picked it because I'm like, oh sweet, Netflix has like all of them forever. I'll never have to pick out another show to watch. And that's the case, right? These like habits that we kind of, we go to without even thinking about it. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, uh, Duke University released a study in 2006 that found that about 45% of our behavior, human behavior is governed 
by our brains in autopilot mode. That, that just kind of happens uh, in sleep mode without even thinking about it. And so today is an introduction into these habits to say, what if we could hack those habits? What if we could instill these like little changes that over time have a huge and profound impact? And in fact, we could keep them going without even thinking about it. And so I'd like to go to a, a place in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. Um, you can find uh, a Bible underneath a chair in front of you and, uh, and, and find Proverbs. The table of contents will be your guide that, that will help. Um, by the way, if there's not a Bible in the rack in front of you, somebody probably took it. We give those away all the time and we absolutely love that. We're phone friendly and the words are gonna be on the screen behind me. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter six. But before we land there and we start reading the verse there that I'd like to share with you, I want to kind of highlight, usually, you know, a lot of us, we think of the Bible as being like, like how to get to heaven kind of thing. And it's like, yes, and, I mean, this book is about like then and there, but this book is also about the here and now. Right? Because we believe that, that, that God made us. If you believe that God made you and gave you this story, then, then we'd also understand that he would probably know how the best way to live our lives would be. And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. It's about collecting these wise sayings, these principles, just these wisdom tidbits that have been gathered across all of these continents all over the world and collected in one place in the Bible so that we can just like read these and, and like see these wisdom bits distilled down to this ultra-concentrated version. And so this is how to live. And this is the story that kind of like opens up in Proverbs 6, verse 6. I imagine this as a dad talking to his son, but that's just me. He goes, go to the ant, you sluggard. He doesn't like his son. Um, no, just kidding. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Go to the ant. Like I said, I imagine this thing taking place and there's like a dad and his kid and they're in the living room. And, and dad, always looking for the teaching opportunity, sees a bug and he's like, right there, right there, son, look. And his kid is like, do you want me to get it? Or like, are you gonna get it? And the dad goes, no, no, no we're gonna follow it. Great, okay. We're gonna follow it down, like on the tile floor through the house, outside to the sidewalk next door. We're gonna follow it into the neighbor's yard. We're gonna keep on following that ant carrying this little speck of dust on its back. Keep on following it until it reaches home. And there's this massive ant colony and maybe not the neighbor's yard, but the, like the one right next door. And his dad looks at his son and he goes, there's more underground than there is above. It's impressive. It's colossal. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient ant world. I mean, this thing is huge. And the dad goes, son, I want to tell you about ant wisdom. The ant gets... How do you build a colony like that? How do you build something immense like that? How do you build something so as impressive as that structure? And the ant understands, here's how it happens. It happens one speck of dust, one grain of sand at a time. And the dad's like instructing his son and he's going like, this is how it works. It just works with one act at a time. Just find one good thing and just keep on doing it on repeat again and again and again. 
I love this saying. Somebody once said that, that greatness, like that colony, greatness is little more than goodness compounded over time. I love that so much. That greatness is little more than goodness compounded over time. It's just on repeat again and again and again. I want to invite you in and, and just like talk a little bit about that, that one behavior, about that one action, that one step that you can take today, this week, that is going to lead you to something immense and incredible down the road, that ant colony kind of structure. But before you make that action, just consider ant wisdom. What are you trying to build? What are you trying to create? I just, I imagine somebody who's like, listen, I would love to be the kind of husband, the kind of wife that just like exudes compassion. I would love to be that kind of human being. That is an impressive structure. I would love to be the kind of person who is free from financial debt or, or free from this like compulsion that I have to, to overspend every single month. I would love to be rescued from that. That is an oppressive structure to build. What are we building? I would love to be the kind of person who just talks about the joy that I have, the grace that I have in Jesus and like how it has positively transformed my life without worrying about sounding weird, without worrying about getting like defensive or anything. I would just, I would love for that to emanate out of me and wisdom. It's something incredible. Beginning with that end in sight of like, what are we building? And the dad is like, son, how we get there is one grain of sand one speck of dust at a time on repeat. We'll get there. It takes time. I, th I think of this guy. Um, this story was told to me before uh, somebody who was uh, who, sitting next to him on the, uh, on the airport. The guy, right, kind of just exudes goodness, right? It's, I mean, it's hard to like put into words. It's, it's hard to describe, but it's the kind of person that that you don't mind being trapped next to on a tube flying 30,000 feet in the air for several hours. Like, like, it's actually kind of a delight because of like the posture. And you find out like his, his spirituality, his convictions, his belief. And you're like, I might disagree with you vehemently about your beliefs. But listen, like, I want to know more. Like, I want to get to know you even better because there's something about that. And, and I would like break into that and go, hey, what's your secret? Like, like what's in the sauce? Right? And he like grabs the, his Bible and he goes in the, in the back of it and, and there's just like tally marks. And he starts to explain. He goes, I, I guess maybe it would be this. And there's just like, you know, tally three, four, five, three, four, five, three, four, five. Fifteen tally marks. It goes, I, I mean, if I put my finger on it, I guess it would be that. And he goes, what is this like? Uh, like you read the Bible like 15 days in a row now? Is this like the record? Is this what happened? He goes, no, um, those are the tally marks. This is a true story. Those are the tally marks of how many times I've read the Bible cover to cover, like the whole thing. I start in the beginning, page one, and I just like read. And I get to the end in Revelation and I just finish, tally mark, and then I start over. And he goes, it's weird, right? The way that you start to see these patterns, these trajectories in the Old Testament, like fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And, and then you start to see these like, these arching patterns, like in the world today, and even in my own life 
today, I start to see these things kind of emerge. And I'll just tell you, like, like you know when you're in the middle part that it's a, it's a really hard chapter. But listen, the peace and the confidence that comes when you know how it ends. And you know that it's a good, good story. It has just dramatically changed my perspective. Thank you for that. I'm not about to read the Bible 15 times in a row this afternoon. No, I didn't either. 15 minutes. 15 minutes is the time that it takes to sit down and to start reading. 15 minutes a day after a year, you'll be about the way through one entire reading of the Bible. Tally Mark. He goes, 15 minutes every day for 15 years, 15 tally marks. My whole world is totally changed for the better. It's incredible. The ant wisdom, a speck of dust, a grain of sand, one at a time on repeat. I imagine a a couple who's, um, they sit down for the first time because they're staring down at the barrel of, uh, of a kid moving away to college and they're realizing they don't have much of a relationship to hold on to. And they sit down in the counselor's office and FYI, the first question in the counselor will ask is some variation of, why are we here today? And he starts off and he goes, we don't talk. For some reason, like over the last number of years, Talking has just led to conflict, has just led to fights. And so as a way to avoid fights, and she chimes in and she goes, we just don't talk. We divide up the work that we have to do. There's no animosity. There's no feeling at all. And that's really the issue of why we're here. We just like divide up the work and like go and live our separate lives. That's it. It kind of explain this further. The counselor goes, here, here's, here's the assignment day one until we see each other again. He goes, pray with each other every single day. And the guy's like, this is a a spiritual retreat of some kind. I mean, we like lock ourselves in a room and pray until the Holy Spirit shows up. Is that the plan? No, no. (laughs) Um, don't go that long. First of all, just 30 seconds, one second, like whatever you can make. If and when you can do more, do more, but just start somewhere. It's just this little, it's just this little commitment. Right, what the uh, counselor was doing is setting up like just one, one behavior. And he's going, what I found is that when we do one behavior, it has this carryover effect. That oftentimes when you're praying with somebody, the first thing that you're going to do before praying when you don't really know the person all that well, even if you're married to them, that's possible too, is to ask them, how can I pray for you? He goes, now, now you're communicating. It's really difficult to pray with somebody that you're fuming angry at. And so sometimes like before, you know, going into the presence of the, of the divine, maybe you'll like work something out ahead of time, right? Uh, start to talk about some of those differences that you have and now you're resolving it. You're getting somewhere. You're with each other, you're communicating, you're working on the problems and then you pray on repeat all the time. Listen, the first time you do this, there's not going to be any change at all. Don't expect it. It's going to be clumsy. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. But over time, you're going to sense just this little push and that sound. We heard it in the video. I can still remember that sound. As a kid going into my bedroom and like setting up the dominoes, 
I'm told that, um, that there are dominoes, not these, these are the cheap ones because we're cheap, but like I'm told that there are dominoes with the dots on them that like you can play a grown-up game with. To this day, I have no idea how to play that game. And honestly, no real interest learning because every time I see a set of dominoes, I am a little kid in my bedroom stacking them up one more time. And if I'm nice, I'll invite my family to come over before I push the first one down. And when I close my eyes, I can hear like the cascading sound of those dominoes all falling over. This is habits. One small push. One action, behavior in just the right place has this huge and resounding effect later on. Somebody told me um, one time that you will greatly, this is true for all of us, you will greatly overestimate the amount that you can do in the short run. But don't be discouraged. You will grossly underestimate what God can do with a lifetime of faithfulness lived before him. Ant wisdom is profound. A grain of sand, a speck of dust. It makes a difference. We're talking about the constructive power of habits. The proverb is writing here and the guy's like, no, no, there's a destructive power of habits as well. There's a dark, ugly side to this thing. And he just, he continues right on. This is the very, very next verse. It's from verse 9. In Proverbs chapter 6, he says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? And, and sluggard is like this caricature, or this guy brought in for comic relief here. It's brought in a number of times in the book of Proverbs in a number of different ways. Sluggard sometimes are referring to this guy as, as like somebody who's like a door creaking uh, as a guy in bed just like groaning, like rolling from side to side, a door creaking open and creaking closed, right? This is the picture of a sluggard. Paul, thousands of years later in the New Testament, is writing to this church and he's so frustrated for their lack of action. He actually brings this Old Testament word sluggard and like applies it to them. He's like, you, you guys, how long will you lie there? You sluggard. Will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and listen to the speed and the cadence and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty just like hits you. I, I love like poetically how those words are put together because it's like the process of getting there is like so slow and drawn out. It's just like nothing is happening at all. Exactly. Like what do you have to do to grow weeds in your garden? <laughs> nothing. It happens on its own. You don't have to do anything. Just fold your hands. Close your eyes for a little sleep and then you'll wake up one morning and whatever your garden is, whether it's your, your career, whether it's your family, whether it's your relationship with God or the person sitting next to us and you'll wake up and it's like this long, slow process is all of a sudden it'll like hit you and you're like, this thing that I'm holding on to is a shell and not at all worth holding on to anymore. The process is slow, but the result is felt immediate 
immediate. And this is what the guy, the destructive power of doing nothing that he wants to rescue us from. So as a, as a way to like encourage you to combat you, uh, on, to combat that, on the way out, we have these, uh, we have these dominoes, right? The cheap kind again, because you can also write on them. Grab a domino on the way out. Just write the action, some action, any action that you're going to, that you're going to take for that ant wisdom to start creating the colony that, uh, that we saw earlier to create the kind of thing that God would have you make. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's a spiritual relationship with God thing. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Whatever it is, write it down on the domino and remind you, and be reminded, carry it in your pocket all day this week. One action over time, compounded over time, leads to greatness. There's something interesting at the end where it says that like poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. We think, like the image that comes to mind is somebody like in a back alley somewhere, like pulling out a switchblade and like mugging this guy. That's, that's, not, that's not, I don't think, what the author here was intending because the Bible, okay, was not written in English. The Bible, this part of the Bible was written in a form of ancient Hebrew. Uh, that's uh, a biblical Hebrew. It's a little bit different than what's spoken in Israel today. But, but this Bible is written in Hebrew and that word, that phrase translated as scarcity is coming on you like an armed man that was underlined earlier. The word is literally translated to as like one carrying a shield, which is similar, right? He's wearing armor. He's an armed man. But like the image, the idea is different. And so instead of somebody like sneaking up behind you with a switchblade, the, the picture is like a fully armored soldier with a three to five foot wooden, possibly leather wrapped, padded on the inside shield coming at you. And if you're there going like, man, I could not have seen that coming. And the dad is like, no, son, you can. You know what the life leads to. And there's just something so real about that, right? There's something so real about somebody like coming up to me and like breaking into my normal habit of like the large nacho platter as I'm sitting down to watch season 13 of Grey's Anatomy and going, that's not going to lead to a place that you want to. It's hard to have seen that coming. I'm like, no. No, I saw it coming from like a mile away. I know the results that I'm going to get are from the behavior that I'm doing right now. I can see this coming. I, I just imagine somebody sitting down and like playing like another hour or 10 of video games and just being like, listen, a little bit, a day at a time. This is fine. I'm good. No problems. But when we wake up like 10 years from now and it's like, it just seems like I don't have uh, valuable and meaningful relationships in my life. Hard to have seen that coming. No, 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 no. We can see that coming. It takes investment. It takes work. All we did is just fold our hands, close our eyes, doing nothing over a very long period of time. The, the result will be felt immediate, but it didn't happen immediate. It happened slowly over time. We take one domino and we're like, what's that one thing we're going to work on this week and commit to it and keep on hitting it again and again and again. One small change, one huge impact. For some people in the room right now, 
or watching online, you're going to have to cut a little deeper than that. Because some people are looking at this thing going, I, I don't think this is a do problem. I've tried to do better. I've tried to do this. I've tried to be reminded. I don't think this is a do problem. I think this is a who problem. I think it's who I am on the inside. I think that somehow like I am like busted. I don't work like everybody else works. I, I don't, it doesn't work for me the kinds of things that work for other people. This isn't a do problem, this is a who problem. And I've seen this come out in a lot of different ways. I've seen people like, like come out with this and say, listen, listen, something happened to me when I was a kid that I will not get over. This isn't like a write it on a domino do problem. This is written on my heart who problem. It's who I am. I'm broken. Listen, man, I'm just, I've got, a, I've got an addictive personality and I can't help it. I have these compulsions. It's not like do better, man. It's like a who I am and I can't get over me. I'm just an overspender or I'm undisciplined. Like it's just, I'm bad with people. It's who I am. Listen to me, listen, listen. Write that on the domino. Write that on the domino and carry it around with me and just be reminded about who you are. Because if there's one thing that, that we know from reading this thing again and again and again and 15 times over and we'll start to get there, it is that the who we are is who God says we are. And he specializes, he specializes in changing the who we are and bringing this thing about in us that's like better and different than, and, and, and more Jesus-like than what we ever thought possible. This whole thing is, is predicated on God saying, listen, listen, I, want to, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to help you. I am your encourager. Paul says in, in Philippians chapter one, he goes, he, this is God, this is Jesus, who started a good work in you, inside of you, will carry that thing on to completion. That was God's promise and saying, this is what I do, specializing in the who. If you feel like you need to cut deeper than the habits you have or the work that you do to the very person who you are, you have a God who wants to meet you. You have a God who specializes in that. When asked about what this was like in an interview, Stephanie shared her story. Uh, she grew up on the streets in South Korea and she grew up uh, rescued on the, on the brink of starvation. Uh, they brought her into an orphanage that was massive and that was crowded and they saved her life. So let's not forget that. But like as one of the older kids at the orphanage, they immediately put her to work. And she didn't know like the love of a family at the place. I mean, she had something to eat every single day, but she went there and her job was to change diapers, to wash diapers, to hang diapers up to dry. Essentially just to care for the little kids at the orphanage every day, all day, all that she was. Until one day this, this guy came in big, Fella came in, uh, someone that she nicknamed in her mind because of his size. She nicknamed him Mr. Goliath, <laughs> which was ironic because his actual name was David. <laughs> 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 it 
David and Judy Merwin showed up at the orphanage where she was and they picked up these two little babies and they invited Stephanie as well to come along with them. And uh, she went to their home and, and she looks into this place, a place that's, that's modest by today's Western standards. But, but she goes into this place and, uh, and it had indoor running plumbing, right? Instead of mats, there were beds. There was enough to eat all the time. She, it was the first time she had ever seen a refrigerator before. And she looked at this thing and she goes, wow, what a great place to work. These people fed her and gave her a bed. They gave her antibiotics. She started feeling healthier and stronger. She was touring one of the nearby villages with David and his, and his wife, Judy. And when this young woman comes up to her and says, and says, you smell American, which is a funny expression, but, but like she goes, she gets defensive and she goes, no, 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 I'm not an American. No, but, but these people that I'm with though, they're Americans and they are weird. Like I have been living with them for months now and they still haven't put me to work. And the woman goes, Stephanie, don't you get it? You're their daughter, not their servant. No. She said, for the life of me, I had never considered the fact that they adopted me. I thought I was just there to look after the babies that they adopted. She ran home as she's telling the story, tears in her eyes. She runs up the, the front steps of the place, looking at this little modest home in an entirely new way, new perspective, because she was seeing it for the first time as her home. And she goes in and she props herself up on, on, on Judy's lap. And she looks at her and she says in Korean, which her mom did not speak at the time. And she says, I am your daughter. And, and somebody else nearby translates for her, for Judy. And Judy says, yes, honey, you're my daughter. I'm your mom. And now with tears in her eyes, is Stephanie, now an old woman, she's telling the story. And she goes, when I think about grace, words fail me. There is no language to describe grace. It's only an overwhelming sense of who I am. If you need to cut deeper than the habits you have or the work that you do, write down, child of God. He names you and he gets to tell you who you are. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, you made us. And you get to tell us who we are. And you've decided in your wisdom to name us as child of God. You've decided to name us as loved to death and back again. God, find ways to remind us this week, maybe with a domino, maybe with a conversation. God, that, um, that you care. Care enough to save us care enough to die for us. God, we are children of yours.
your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.